Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. On episode 44, I interview Adela Skolderman, a talent acquisition expert, a triathlete, a true connector, and an all-around amazing human being. Together, we talk about traversing the talent market during a pandemic and how candidate experience and the gig economy are shaping the way talent is found, acquired, retained, and grown in these changing times. Enjoy the listen. Adela Skolderman and trying to remember when we met the 2015 I, I think it was December 2014 or 2015 it was, it was I think it would have been 2015 yeah that's right okay I remember it was the fall because it, yeah I remember we were going on our, our retreats uh with West Monroe Partners but um but so I've been in talent acquisition for probably about 12 years and um, fell into it, didn't find it. Uh, my master's was human resource management because at the time there was not, um, there wasn't change management. There wasn't um, human capital management. Um, HR was kind of on the verge of moving from administrative to more strategic. And, um, and uh, there, there was IO psychology, but not locally. I didn't want to go away to school. So HR management was what I did. Uh, my first job was, recruiting and I, I got stuck in it, but then I found out I got stuck in it because I actually was kind of good at it. And um, so I, I found my passion for it a few years later, really around candidate experience and and just by uh, bringing a different element to recruiting, not focusing on the process, but uh, by, by focusing on a putting people through a journey and, and keeping the process on the back end because it's the stuff that keeps us uh, in line, it keeps us organized, but but we don't want to put candidates through a process. Um, and so uh, that's really sort of what I figured out. Okay, I kind of like this stuff, and I'm kind of good at it, so I think I'll stick around. So I've been doing talent acquisition for about twelve years. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about the the journey because I do remember in 2015 when you and I met, um, and I've described this a lot to uh, people when they ask about, hey, what what's what's your experience been as a candidate in the past, and having worked for large companies like IBM and having worked for smaller companies like West Monroe. The way I described the experience of the journey um, that you facilitated, frankly, um, was a courtship. It was like a corporate courtship. Thank you. And sure. it was, and I use that word very intentionally because you don't hear that word often anymore, like yeah. courtship. You know, you think when you think about it, when you, you know, close your eyes, you think of courtship, you think of, you know, the man and the woman, you know, holding hands and walking for a really long time right. um, and mm -hmm. spending time getting to know each other. And um, that's what we did. Um, I, I yeah. recall it was really interesting to be a candidate and not feel, you know, the tremendous pressure of, hey, we've got to accelerate through something at a timeline that doesn't make sense for me. Um, and we had some very honest conversations about yeah. timing and where I was and where the firm was. And um, it was really refreshing. Um, and, and, and I'm curious your thoughts on, I believe that's, that, that's an exception. To, to most of the the candidate experience. Has that been the case for you as well when you talk to others that are in the space you're in? Um, 
are, are instances like mine and the experience that we both had when I came to West Monroe, are those uh, few and far between or are they increasing? I, I hope they're increasing. First of all, thank you, uh, because that's that's exactly what I, I wanted to, um, you know, what, what I wanted um, the difference of, of my candidates to be. Um, and uh, because finding a job sucks. It, it's not, it's not fun. And um, I mean, there's, there's just, a, it's just this, it, and, and um, also I, I really love what you said about courtship because um, one of the ideas I have in my head is, is that I need to write a book about how recruiting is like dating <laughs> and I mean, in so many ways. Um, but even just how like so many dates suck and people who are single are like, Oh, I hate dating. I mean, like finding a job is, is no fun. And so that's always a difference I wanted my candidates to have. Um, about the same time you and I met, I found that the talent board, the talent board is a, a nonprofit that's been around for a decade for 10 years. They've been doing, um, a benchmark, bench, benchmark research program, um, worldwide. And, um, they start by surveying the, um, talent acquisition teams of organizations. And then they survey all of, uh, the applicants, uh, it needs to be uh, a specific amount that is statistically significant based on how many hires per year they make. And the answers of the candidates who are not selected are weighted heavier than the ones who are. So it's not, um, sentiment based on the fact that, oh, you know, people got a job, they're happy. So they're going to rate the experience. Well, it's, um, it's actually, uh, most of it's focused on the folks who are rejected. And so, We've been trying to make a difference, and um, in our, I think our research and our data and our message is getting out there. And um, I think more and more uh, companies are understanding that your candidate experience has to it, it well it, it is aligned whether we like it or not with our employment brand. That's also aligned with our customer experience too. So if you take a, a large global footwear manufacturer and look at the way, look at everything that they, they do, all the the money they spend and the strategy and and um, uh, you know, creativity that they they spend to get someone to buy a shoe, but you can't turn around and put someone through this silly process. I mean, just cookie cutter process where you just leave people feeling like, eh. And, um, and then there's a whole story with Virgin Mobile about how uh, Virgin was, I think they were spending, they were, they were losing, I think about $5 million a year in negative or due to negative candidate experience because they were rejecting their customers and their customers were taking their, their brand affinity elsewhere. And so I think more and more organizations are getting the message that you have to treat your candidates well. Uh, but the, at the same time, it's it's still up to the bottom line. Um, there's still a lot of organizations in the in the world. I mean, look at the U.S. I mean, we're lucky to be in Seattle, one of the tech hubs of the world. Um, but in in the U.S., there are a lot of organizations that are still very old fashioned, um, still very institutionalized, and they look at the metrics that I find a little bit silly, like talent to, or excuse me, like time to fill, um, versus uh, looking at okay, maybe this position took 100 days to fill, but the person's been in the role for four years. That's amazing. Uh, and so I, hopefully we'll get there, but I, I think it is increasing. Yeah, I think it's so interesting what you talked about, You know, looking at the data that comes out of candidates who are rejected or actually turned down an opportunity. I hadn't really thought about that, but to me, there's probably such powerful stories in that data and I love the analogy you give about dating because one of the things I think which is really interesting and often overlooked is what is the emotional toll that comes with rejection? 
you know, and, and I think there's so much, especially in these times we're in now, uh, you know, I remember reading an article that basically, or, you know, an article on LinkedIn that somebody kind of put this notion out there towards LinkedIn and others that were, you know, aggregators of opportunities saying, I challenge you to go back in and almost wipe out everything that was prior to March, 2020, because realistically, how, how does it feel for someone to apply to a job when they, when, and they're going to get a rejection because frankly, the world is just different, right? That job was posted in December last year or May of last year. All of those job descriptions probably look a little different. I mean, certainly the budgets that go behind those jobs look different and, and still there's a lot of people going through the motions and getting the rejections. Um, and the rejections are, you know, they're systematic, but you're probably right. It's not that much different than, um, I don't know, is it being swiped left? <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent is. Swipe left is bad, right? I don't know <laughs> either. Thank right. God. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you can tell we're both married individuals because yeah. we're like, I have no idea what's it left or right is the bad one. But, but you know what I'm getting at? It's like, it's an emotional experience. And even, even if you're prepared mentally, emotionally, you still go through that journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack with what you just said, because, uh, first of all, there are, uh, a lot of, well, a lot of times people apply and they never hear back and they, they do see, uh, maybe once they submit their application, they, they, they hit submit, they might, there might be a sentence that says, if there's a fit, we'll be in contact. Is that really enough? We don't know. I mean, we're essentially ghosted as, as candidates a lot of the time and it's, it doesn't feel great. And um, again, I mean, these are these are people. I mean, it's a little bit different with B two B organizations, but you still want people to be referred to you. Um, you're still dealing with people who are potential future buyers, future candidates for other jobs, future referrers of of talent. You still need brand affinity. And uh, but for B two B, excuse me, B two C organizations, they, um, it, I mean. Their, their applicants or their customers. I mean, if you're a, a child who's, who's dreamed of working for a certain organization for years and years, and all of a sudden you apply and just never hear back. I mean, that's really, I mean, that, that's, that stinks. And um, more and more people are demanding to know why. And, um, and so one of the things that we always do that and, at the talent board uh, that I've um, really practiced that I think is really helpful is um, at least, you know, like, with a, this is a general rule, but if, if somebody applies um, for for a role with your organization and you don't chat with them, um, make sure that you have a nice auto rejection message. But it's okay to send an auto rejection message. If if you talk, if a recruiter talks with someone, they should at least send a personalized email. Again, it could be it could be a template, but make sure it's more personalized uh, and and thanks them for their time and for the conversation. And lastly, if someone has interviewed with your organization in person or these days virtually, but meets with other people in the organization, uh, give them a call. I mean, call them. And, um, and and people are demanding feedback more and more because they don't understand why they're not a fit. And there's so many reasons. I mean, it, it, that, that will take... Maybe that's a podcast I should start. I don't know. There, there's a million reasons. I'll take a year to talk about that. But, but um, what I always try to do too, and, and hopefully you remember this, is, is give people little tips along the way and coach them. So rather than at the end of the conversation, if, if, if let's say things went differently and, and I rejected you, um, that you weren't a fit, uh, but then, and then you're like, well, why? I thought it went great. Um, I mean, instead, throughout our conversation, I, I tried to always coach and, and give tips and, um, and, and help 
mold everyone to, to, for success. And with the idea is if, if, if we, I couldn't work with someone, at least I could lead them in a better spot for that next role. And that's how you get brand affinity. But these days with COVID too, um, it's challenging because a lot of organizations don't want to seem like they're affected, which is silly because everyone is affected. The whole world is affected. Yet they're leaving postings up because they don't want to look like, well, we don't want to have the appearance that we're losing money. So we're going to leave these postings up. And uh, and that's really the opposite thing that they should be doing. What they should be doing is, is having some sort of a pop-up message to say, due to COVID, we've paused hiring temporarily, or at least take down the roles that they're not recruiting for. Um, either way, have some sort of a message saying, due to COVID, here is how we're going to keep you safe during the recruiting process. Just an acknowledgement of current events and acknowledgement that you care as a human being about their health too. And so that's what the, the most progressive organizations are doing out there right now. But transparency is everything. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's so interesting thinking... You, as you described it, people want to know why. And mm-hmm. in, and in some, in some ways that almost seems like too much to ask for because we're so used to the experience of, as you said, being ghosted or just being put in this pool and being forgotten about. And, you know, I remember the, there's, there's like a, a biochemical hit that happens in your body when you hit submit on an application for a job, right? Because you've prepped all this, you've done all this work and, you kind of take that breath in, you exhale, and you hit submit, and off it goes, right? Um, and I do think we're in a really interesting time right now. It's not just in candidate experience. I think it's in 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 all channels, really, where people want to know the why. They want mm-hmm. to know what's behind it, and they want some of the information, even if it's bad news, right? Even if it's not an optimal answer, they'd like an answer. Um, you know, I, I think it's fascinating watching organizations navigate this the spirit the spirit of uh internships right there's a lot of interns who had internships either rescinded or jobs rescinded right you know i think i think a lot about the 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 youth and those that graduated this this year um them having to navigate that you know a lot of the a lot of the young people i talked to they weren't upset at the decision mm-hmm. they took issue with the lack of transparency Right. They took issue with not being able to be provided the respect and the honesty of here's how we had to make a decision. Instead, it was here's decision uh, and and end of end of conversation. Do you think going forward that candidates have more, I don't want to say more power in their court, but do you think the dynamic is just going to shift after whatever this is and how it plays out? I call it the new next, not the new normal, because what is yeah. normal anymore? You're right. Do you think there's going to be a dynamic shift? There is, yeah. There, there has been. Um, I mean, it has been happening. I mean, with this this demand for for more transparency, and um, and I think it's also sort of like um, I'm not a big fan of the movie, so I'm going to get the the reference wrong. But at the end of the Wizard of Oz, uh, the unveiling, you know, like the, the like the Great Oz is is just another person. I mean, all these people and organizations are just people too, and I think that's what we're starting to see. Is I think we. I mean, probably before when I became aware of it was when um, agile transformation started happening in in our world and in um, management consulting because you you know that all these leaders of these companies are waking up in the morning, looking at the reflection in the mirror, scratching their head and thinking, "I need to do this. I don't really understand it. I don't know how I'm going to get there. What do I do?" And uh, it, it seems like that's sort of the the thing that that they're doing for so many more questions nowadays besides just 
agile transformation. And, and of course, hiring is one of those and, and COVID is, is one of those and diversity and, um, and, and they're scared. And uh, one of the, the things that I think we've observed in the past few months is um, a lot of organizations saying, yes, we're remote for the time being. But we still only want to see candidates who are in our city because when we go back to work, we we need everybody to go back to the office like they did before. And it's really fascinating. And we've been saying that since March. And at first, we thought it would happen in June. And, and now it's August. And we're, we're thinking maybe it'll happen in 2021, but we don't know. And, uh, and, and so it's just been like this like pushback, pushback, pushback of, of like this date of when we're going back to normal. And, um, and it's sort of keeping everybody sane. Um, I mean, it's, and, but on the other hand, you have these candidates who are like, of course, it's not going to happen. Um, and so I, I think that that's sort of what we're seeing is this humanization of, of leadership. I mean, they're just like us. But I still think that that doesn't mean that we can, like as candidates can go in and like make demands, be like, dang it, I darn it, <laughs> you know, I am going to work from home. Um, I mean, you have to like at least talk and smile and nod and like be like amiable to their ideas and, and build trust and, and let them see you as a, a person and, and see your skills without, without, um, like without diverting them to, you know, to just sort of like go into panic mode, like this person wants to remote work remote, they're going to ruin our culture. But um, the the big shift is, is with health and safety. Um, I think that um, we've, for the, the entire bull market, the past decade candidates have had a lot of power because everyone needs good talents and it's really hard to find. Um, and that's still going to be true, but um, we might not be able to, get the salaries that we were hoping for and the raises we were hoping for and the bonuses but but our power rely, our power is going to lie in the fact that we can we we are in control of our health and wellness and safety yeah that's a really interesting you know shift i think when when we talked about you know, a lot of times I think organizations, and this all becomes part of the offers for people, we think about, you know, think of the total compensation, think of the health benefits, think of all of that. And what's really interesting in some of the discussions I've had with people is they haven't really thought of those things until the present time, right? Until they've they've needed um, access to those things. And similarly, I've talked to a number of people, and I would probably put myself in this in this category as well, of having my eyes open to the levels of productivity um, and res- restoration, frankly, that mm-hmm. I, that I've been able to get working from home. I mean, in in our world of management consulting, you know, when we worked together, I probably only saw you one day a week because I was on a plane or somewhere else for those five days. Um, and it's interesting because the things I'm learning is that. Uh, I'm able to achieve about a 90 to 95% um, success rate in the work that I'm doing, even in a remote fashion. Um, so it's all new. We're all learning. But I also think it, it begs the question around like the gig economy. Um, right. and, and what are those opportunities that, ex- I wouldn't say exist yet, but they're, they're out there somewhere. Um, they're probably getting formulated, as you even describe organizations trying to parse through what are the jobs we're going to, you know, take down or what are we going to fill budget wise? Or maybe some of them are even looking at it like what, what gig opportunities can we give people? Um, Because maybe it's not so much about the, Hey, you have to be here four days a week for the culture because we're, we're facing a different challenge there. 
but maybe we need this specific talent and this specific passion for this specific purpose. And if they can deliver it remote or wherever, you know, I think about the digital nomads. I remember reading articles about that Mm -hmm. years ago where these people found their niche, right? They found their passion. They had their technology. They could land themselves in an Airbnb in Indonesia and do their work and support and get paid for it. Do you think the gig economy in some some sense has been, um, is this a different revival of it? Is it different challenges? Are we facing the same obstacles? Or what does that look like for you in the future? I Well, my, my focus for the past three years has been on the professional gig economy. And, um, and, and so I've been paying, I've been trying to pay close attention. Um, one of the, the biggest challenges is when people talk about the gig economy, they're usually talking about um, delivery workers or drivers. So it's really hard to find stuff on professional gig folks, professional freelancers. Um, and so that's one of the things I want to do too, is, is really try to connect and put out more content for gig folks. But they've been having, I mean, they were, they were climbing. I think by this year, we were supposed to have two, uh, at least a third. I don't remember the statistic, but I think it was about like a third of all US jobs were going to be gig jobs. And um, companies, knowing that, were, were working really hard to sort of s- swing the other way and normalize that a little bit, trying to standardize rates and uh, really try to put more conservative practices in place to kind of control it. Um, procurement departments, ma- making more hoops for for um, people to jump through, essentially. I mean, that's not what they were doing. They were trying to standardize things, but it turns into more legal hoops for an, for a standalone independent uh like a project manager to go through to work with a company. Uh, and, and so they would, that's what I was trying to do is, was be an intermediary so that standalone independents could, could work with us who might already be on a preferred vendor list to be able to help us deliver to a client like an Amazon or Microsoft or, or what have you. Uh, and, and so a lot of the gig work was, was canceled. Um, a lot of it was put on hold. Some of the, the ones that I know were retained, but they were diverted to work on issues. Maybe they're working on, um, global analytics projects for marketing functions, but they were diverted to, to try to help fix supply chain issues. So things really switched, but, uh, a lot of things have dried up, but, th- but there's this other, I, I think I'm not really going to answer your question, but, but it's something that's really interesting that I'm, I'm trying to study right now. And, and that's that there are all these professional gig roles. Uh, take a term like project manager, uh, not a term, a title, like project manager, business analyst, um, recruiter. You can put recruiter in there. Uh, there the, these roles are kind of getting diluted and commoditized, really. And so... A project manager like you would manage Bill versus, let's say, um, a project manager who's three years out of college who's going to go in and, and schedule meetings and take notes and color in spreadsheets. I mean, how can you both have the same title? And uh, but that's happening, and and so it's there's just a lot of confusion out there. I think around some of these roles, and um, and and so prices are coming down. Um, it, it's getting harder for for the gig workers to. Um, hold on to the rates that they were able to to earn a year or two ago. Um, it, it's there's confusion um, for the recruiters. Um, they don't really understand exactly. I think what's needed for some of these roles. So and and I think the future future work concepts are pow- part of that because organizations um, are retaining core functions, core strategic functions, but then they're outsourcing all these kind of ter- like these these uh, 
what am I trying to say? These, these, these other functions. Um, and, uh, I'm reading a book right now. I think it's called Fishers at Work. I'm going to have to find the book and the author and, and send it over to you. But, but basically, if you look at a company like Kodak and like in 1980, if Kodak had a custodian, that custodian year over year would get a pay raise like every other Kodak employee. Nowadays, Kodak outsources their custodian. And so year over year, Kodak employees are getting a pay raise, but that custodian is, is paid whatever that outsourced company pays them. And, and, and it's not, it's no longer um, correlated to the, the raises of the employees. And so all of these, these, pro, these project manager roles and business analyst roles um, that, that are out there for gig workers are, are kind of in that spot now. And I don't really get that. I don't really know what's happening there and, and how that switch is, is happening. And so that's something I'm trying to study, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like the the challenge, as you describe, you know, the the commodity commoditization, if you will, of some of these competencies is is really what it comes down to, as I see it. And you know, one of the things I've I've been noticing in spending a little bit of time recently um, on Instagram, but mainly looking at it for how small business users or or solopreneurs, if you will, are using mm-hmm. it as a platform to to get out there. And it's been really interesting to see because in some ways people are taking more risks, right? They're speaking their voice more. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a couple of people I follow and it's been interesting because they're going up against traditional marketing machines, right? They're doing it. They're spending a lot of time inward and thinking about what is it I want to say and who do I want to be? And I'm going to put it out there on this platform. And and then they get followers and they probably get business that way. But at the same time, there's a handful in them that are talking about they're noticing or their followers are noticing some of their material is getting censored or is getting dropped out. Um, and why is that? And so then what they do is they go spin up another channel and try and say it over here. And and what's fascinating to me is what that comes down to is people have their core competencies and they have their core passions and they're not going to let go of those, nor should mm-hmm. they, right? They become a master at their craft. They're very good at what they do. Let's say they want to help people. That's where they're going to spend their time. And they're using the systems that we have available, but they bump up against a limit or they bump up against something or they ruffle the feathers of somebody. Right. And that's the test. To me, that's the test of the competency and the passion and the career set. Because then you say to yourself, okay, well, I have a choice. Do I accept that limit that somebody else is putting there for me? Mm-hmm. Or do I go and make another path? And what's fascinating about what I'm seeing on Instagram these days, a little bit on LinkedIn too, um, is people are making their own pathways. I, lo- I like that people are making their own pass- pathways, that they're trusting their gut, that they're they're putting their own words on a pretty unstructured piece of paper, for lack of a yeah. better term. Mm-hmm. And people are gravitating towards it. Why do you think that is? That's, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm so glad you said that because that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do too uh, with recruiting. Uh, but um, I, th- I think it is because a lot of people think those thoughts, but they're just afraid to put it out there. I, I really think that, um, I mean, there, there aren't very many original ideas in the world anymore. It's just, there's a lot of people who don't want to speak it or think that they're not allowed to. It's, and, um, and so some of, some people out there are just getting really courageous or, um, I don't know. Um, maybe not thinking about all the consequences, but but I mean, it, it, I, I mean that's what I, I really admire. To, you know, also the people who are uh, 
making a West Monroe reference here, but it, but uh, echoing Tom Boulder, uh, provocative in thought and and just really pushing the envelope with um, you know like nothing like nothing offensive, but you know like a little bit of controversy is good. It's it, you know it's a little bit of conflict is good, and um, and so I I think that's really great and putting it on their platform where they don't they're not held by the the constraints of of their organization or their whatever agreement that they signed when, when they joined the, when they joined it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so interesting, like even the, the word provocative, right. I mean, again, we associate it to be like, Ooh, let's stay away from it. But mm-hmm. I mean, the root of it is to provoke, to provoke, pro- right. provoke discussion, debate, new ideas. Yeah. And, um, and this is where, this is sort of the energy that I feel amidst COVID right now is that there is, there's never really been a time where we have been tested so much to say the way we've always done it. Does that make sense anymore? Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people just trying to figure it out and there's no answer book. you know, I've discussed this a number of times on previous episodes with folks. And so the other thing, which is really interesting is, you know, I've had discussions recently with people around a term I was corrected on recently imposterism. So I've been using imposter syndrome for such a long time and I've been doing, you know, attending some discussions on it. And apparently the the more appropriate term to use is imposterism hmm. um, because it's not a syndrome. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't call it a syndrome. Don't, you know, it's something we struggle with, but it's not, it's not a syndrome. And so the, the concept of trying to always get it right or trying to strain to be perfect at something in many ways, that's gone. Now, yeah. um, what, you know, if you're striving, if you're striving for perfect, who's, who defined perfect and did they define it in a pre COVID world? Cause it may not, yeah may not apply anymore. So in, in your world, it's, it's gotta be so in, in some ways like energizing to be in this space, to be talking with folks at the talent board, to be talking to candidates, to even think about how do you formulate what you do as you know, and I think I recently tagged you, called you a bridge builder, right? You're a bridge builder between people's passions and their and professional opportunities. You're this matchmaker. How do you do that going forward with your own your own voice, your own wings, and no more no more constraints? Yeah, I. That's exactly what I'm trying to do, and I, I think part of it is um, what I've what I've always done and what I've always known that. Um, Technology is going to make us better recruiters. It's not going to take away our job. I mean, a lot of people think it's going to replace recruiting. It's it's going to help us to handle the masses for like surge hiring and bulk hiring and high volume stuff. But we still have to we still have to pull out the white gloves and the red carpet and and really give high touch to the 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 most in demand candidates uh, that we want to hire the most. I mean that that we need uh, the the technologists and the strategists and and um the 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 culture builders and and um, all of those th- those those very talented people because uh, there's still going to be a demand the war for talent isn't going anywhere and um and and they're sick of it all too I mean the thing that they respond to are, are people who can speak their language and understand them and that's that was always one of my strengths was was being pretty empathetic to folks and and really getting to the core of what they're looking for and um, the minute I I read Malcolm Gladwell I understood what my strength was. I'm not a maven. I mean, I, I, I am definitely the, I am the connector. I mean, that's, that's absolutely what I, I've always done. I've, I've always brought people from different aspects of life and introduced them. And, and, uh, like I have friends who, who will be lifelong friends because I introduced them. I have people who will 
climb corporate career ladders because I, I knew that they could they would be a good fit within an organization. And um, and uh, so we have to we have to really focus on that human elements and in, in um, talent acquisition uh, forever. And there are a lot of things that, that we think about all the time in recruiting and are afraid to say. And I want to say those things. And um, I, I put a, a post recently about, I mean, like we can do things that are fear-based or we can do things that are compassion-based. And it, it sounds all frilly and lovey-dovey and, and hippie-like, but it's, it's all true. I mean, like... Am I not going to say it because I'm afraid of people rejecting my thought? I mean, no, everybody's thinking it. I mean, we're we're all we're, we're all afraid of of our feelings getting hurt when we apply for jobs and we're rejected. I mean, we're every hiring manager or recruiter is afraid of getting sued if they give feedback to a candidate that they don't like. But we still should do it because that's the right thing to do, and there's a way to do it that's that's going to resonate. And um, so those are the types of things that I want to I want to teach people how to do. And I, I know I I can do it. I'm just trying to figure out the the right path to get there. And, and so it's going to start with a lot of content. <laughs> That's exciting. I cannot wait to see the content that comes out. And I, and I really, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you name what is fear-based, but I also think it's really interesting that we stop and we understand like what, where's that fear coming from? And was that actually my fear or was that a fear that I adopted or inherited from something else yeah. or some other system? Mm-hmm. These are the things that I think people are asking themselves now, which is that really even mine? Hang on a second. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving through the world in a certain way, but when I stop and think about it, do I want to, like, do I want to continue doing that? Mm -hmm. And what people start to realize is that you, you get, you get, you have choice here. Um, is it, is it risky? Certainly, but it may be less risky in a couple months or a year when frankly, the world looks very different. You know, there was a great, um, news piece I saw last night on the PBS news hour and they interviewed the president of, um, Southern New Hampshire, New Hampshire University, SNHU. And it was interesting because this president basically said, um, as a, as a university, they've had huge success in online, um, long before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and they made a decision to reduce their in their in-person tuition from $32,000 a year to $10,000 a year, um, going forward. And everybody kind of was like, how are you going to do that? Um, well, he basically said, I've got enough data to show me that in that he had done years prior that the trend is going in the direction of this, um, you know, remote learning, much less in people being um, on a campus. And to your point around health and safety, these are the things that many universities and colleges are trying to navigate right now. So some would say he's making a bold move. Um, is it uninformed? No, he's done a lot of research. Is the bold move for the way the world looks today? <laughs> but in three to four years, it may be the smartest move. Um, and so I think there's something about that pioneer spirit of, of taking those questions that frankly yeah. you've, you've, you've identified, which are the ones we all think, but we're afraid to ask. Start there yeah. and, plus, <laughs> and build your answers. <laughs> absolutely. You know, and even if you, even if you don't have the research, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, my first career was on an ambulance. Uh, you know, we, we cannot predict every single way that someone's going to experience a trauma or have a medical emergency. And, and so what we're trying to do is, is to respond to whatever we see and based on, based on our assessment. And, and if something doesn't work, we switch and we try something else and we keep trying until we revive them or we're at the hospital or unfortunately, sometimes we lose them. But, but usually, I mean, medical science is, is, is pretty strong. I mean, usually we can save people or get them into the hands of, of people who have more capability than we do. And um, I, I'm on a nonprofit board and, and we were having 
our monthly meetings, they're supposed to be an hour. But it ended up being two and a half hours because we'd hem and haw and wring our hands about decisions because we're trying to predict every single thing. And and we never predicted COVID. And 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 but guess what? It happened. And 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 so I think that I think that should be the biggest lesson is that we're never going to be able to predict everything. We just but we can respond and we can um, I mean not not to be reactive, but but what I'm saying is that we shouldn't let our fear of the unknown um, you know, talk about fear-based decisions um, hold us back. Uh, we can get through anything. I mean we're we're good at that. Humans are are pretty resilient. Yeah. And last question I'd love to ask you, it's kind of in the, in the frame of resiliency. Um, I love to ask all, all my guests this, how do you stay healthy and change? And I'll put a little, I'll put a little, uh, um, a bug in there. I know you're an avid hiker. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I watch your posts and you spend a lot of time out in nature and it's always very restorative to see your, your beautiful pictures. Um, but I would love you to share, like, how do you stay healthy and change as a leader in the space, going through all the things as someone who's using their own voice, finding their own voice and spreading their, spreading their wings. Um, what is that like for you? Yeah. Hiking is, is a big, big part of that. We, um, well, I'm a very, I'm in a very social career and, um, and so early on I, I needed to find that balance and our balance was getting far away from people getting into nature where we could, where we could get away from the, you know, not see people for, for a weekend and, and get on a trail. And, um, we have dogs, and so um, it's something that we can do with with the dogs too, and and bring them with us. But uh, during the pandemic, I, I also I hurt my knee right right at the beginning of the pandemic on March fifteenth. I tore my meniscus. I couldn't get surgery for three months, so I had to find something else. Um, so I found handstands, which sounds really silly, but it, it I kind of experienced the same sort of adren- uh, uh, endorphin rush that I do from running when I was upside down, uh, and, and then just the every day getting a little bit stronger and a little bit better at balance. So it was, it was a lot of fun, but, um, for the past three months, I, I did meditate daily. I, I did do daily yoga as far as my knee would let me go. And, um, I did not touch alcohol. And that was really important being injured to have those three <clears throat> cornerstones to the to quarantine, but, um, we got through it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, um, I mean, I, I thought I was an avid meditator before the pandemic. I'm yeah. definitely a stronger meditator now. And many people are and many corporations are, I'm noticing investing in that for their people, which I'm very excited about. Um, Adela, thank you for the time today. This was a really great discussion. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited for what's ahead for you and to see all the content um, that, that's, that's going to come. Um, if people wanted to follow you or follow some of the work you're doing or even some of the thought leadership, where's the best place for them to, to either reach out or, or find you? Well, definitely on LinkedIn for now. And, um, and uh, so just search for Adela Schoolderman on, on LinkedIn and uh, more to come in the future now, but start there. Um, one other place where some of my publications are is at thetalentboard.org. And um, so we have a lot of great, not just my stuff, but a lot of great data and research that is publicly available um, as far as talent acquisition and recruiting goes. So check it out. 